If we're not failing, we're not growing. We're not challenging ourselves. We're not forging new ground. The people on the leading edge are going to make mistakes to create best practices. Hey everybody, I'm Bev and I'm the host of People at Work Today. People at Work is a podcast brought to you by Jostle and at Jostle we are building an employee intranet that is helping connect people to everything that matters to them during their workday. And although we're a tech company, um, my job at Jostle is to be out in the marketplace really understanding what's going on for people at work. So we have conversations like the one I'm going to have today with all sorts of people around the world who are thinking about this problem and you know it extends to things like you know employee experience and workplace culture and leadership and teamwork. And particularly in the last year, we've seen a lot of stress being placed on all of those things in our workplaces. So um, love having these conversations. They really help illuminate what's going on for people in the workplace and love putting them into practice and helping our listeners do the same. So I hope you take a lot away from uh, this conversation today, which is going to be with Shaney Magoski. Shaney is a certified coach and no BS leadership development and org cult culture consultant. Shaney founded the Leader Shift Project to empower people to become great leaders and build better cultures within their organization. Shaney is known for her McKinsey-style expertise, IKEA-like simplicity, and John Stewart-esque irreverence. Shaney is here to talk about how failure builds confidence. So welcome to the show, Shaney. Thank you so much, Bev. It's a pleasure to be here. Fabulous. Well, I know we're going to have a, a really interesting conversation about failure, which perhaps isn't something that a lot of people like to talk about. Um, but before we jump into that, uh, can you give us just a, a quick glimpse into your background and what led you to become a, a coach and a leadership development consultant? Absolutely. So I spent the early third to 40% of my career working on Wall Street at Goldman Sachs. And that was a place where I had some of the best leaders I've ever had and some unfortunate leaders that weren't so great. <laughs> and when I, after I left Wall Street, I did a bunch of different things. I managed a local television station in Vail, Colorado, which was a complete 180 career pivot. And uh, I'll say those were some of my um, more interesting experiences in failing as a manager and, and leader that I learned from because it was a new industry and I was working with different types of people than I was accustomed to on Wall Street. And then I was CFO, COO of a marketing company that at the time that I came on board was transitioning from a brick and mortar company with offices on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., to an all virtual business where everybody was sent home with their laptops and working from home. And this wasn't right around COVID, this was 2006. So he, the, the owner of the company, I give him lots of credit, was on the bleeding edge of doing that. And I also learned a lot there about, you know, what the differences are and how to continue to communicate, collaborate, manage, motivate, etc people in a highly distributed organization. And, you know, all these years later, I'm sort of chuckling that no one wanted to believe me when I was preaching the gospel of remote work 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> um, and 
ultimately I took all of that experience in different industries and different functional areas and you know different generations of people and carved that into a niche for myself in the leadership development space and got my executive coaching certifications and you know a whole bunch of initials uh, from trainings and certifications and the business is called the leadership project deliberate play on the word leadership with shift my my john stewart esque tagline is i help leaders and teams get their shift together <laughs> um, and in all seriousness what that means is Leaders today, we live in a world that if we are not comfortable with shift, and that could be shift in strategy, shift in the composition of the members of our team, and often most important, shift in mindset, then there will be failure, which perhaps is a good segue to the topic and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it, because when we're shifting, we're never going to get it right all the time. Yeah, I, I really like how you've you've tied that into your uh, your practice and and the philosophy that you bring to leadership. And you know, if there was ever a time where we can observe and feel the the you know the impact of shift, it was in the last year. Um, it seems like you know you you had a running start with getting used to working remote many years ago already. So um, maybe you didn't feel some of the pain that people have have felt on mass as we've seen over the past year. But um, I'm sure you could relate to some of the things. In, you know, the, the the disconnection, the feelings of isolation, the you know. The, the disruption to collaboration, you know, those sorts of things that it, it's not that we can't do it. It's just that we have to figure out how to do it. And ideally, we don't want to be doing it in a global pandemic. Like if That's we're right. going to go, if we're going to shift to, you know, global remote work, like let's not try and do it during a pandemic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, yes. And, um, you know, the mother of invention is necessity, right? So, I think there's been a lot of talk about and research done on the increased velocity of good change that has happened as a result of the pandemic and you know not to be Pollyanna about it because certainly there was lots of suffering and pain and Absolutely. inconvenience to say the least. I like to focus also on you know like what have we learned and the acceleration in the things that we've learned in our self-awareness, in our relationships, in, in our creative ability to, to do work and collaborate and how quickly people who were once reluctant to embrace some of the new technologies are suddenly experts at Jamboard and Slack and you know all these technologies that enable us to work more efficiently and effectively. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think to some extent, this has been a bit of a laboratory for failure as we've as we've had to change and adapt all of us have had to try some things that have not worked out and we've had to been we have to be okay with that you know in this this new way of working which I think is amazing for us to set the stage for normalizing of this dispersed way of working where uh, trying things and, and falling down and picking yourself up are just really part of how you work and like really shouldn't that be how it is anyway if you really are in this you know psychologically safe work environment failure should be part of how you learn and grow so I'm sure Absolutely. you're going to tell us more about that in our chat here today so yes. um, why don't we jump into like the, the very first question 
that I thought about when I was, I was thinking about the interview today was um, you really do view failure as something positive that can help us be successful. So how so? How, how did you arrive at that feeling? Yes. Well, it's some of the things we've actually just alluded to already, which is, you know, we're in, we're, if we're not failing, we're not growing, we're not challenging ourselves, we're not forging new ground. You know, there's no, you know, user manual blank for dummies on uncharted territory, right? And so the, the adventurers, the people on the leading edge are going to make mistakes in order to create best practices. And, you know, that's fine if you want to be a sheep, but if you're the sort of person who wants to to be innovative and to come up with creative solutions and stand out in your field, whatever it is, you can't be afraid to fail or else you're a sheep by definition <laughs> in some ways, because you're never going to push the edges of, you know, of the boxes that culturally we're kind of trained to live in uh, after, you know, once we are socialized through school, I mean, you think about <laughs> When, when we're babies and toddlers, it's okay to fail. Like the fact that we stood up for half a second and then fell back down is worth celebrating, but no, not as adults in the workplace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's quite curious, right? How we, we're, we're so tolerant of, of some things at certain stages of our lives, but we're completely intolerant of it later on in our lives. Um, so help me understand then is is there a particular type of person or personality that actually does better at failing than others for sure people so you're going to do better at failure if if you embrace the shift in mindset that failure is a prerequisite to progress um and that you know failure isn't bad by definition um, the, the, so there's four types of failure, actually, um, and, and one of them is bad by definition. So I think it's important to really clarify this. So one of the reasons that I dug deeper into thinking about the types of failure is not all failures created equally. And yet we lump it up, we lump off failure over here and say, oh, no, it's bad and I can't fail, right? And, and that's not the case. It's certain types of failure that we wanna avoid, um, but the kind of failure that we're referring to here in terms of it, failure in service of innovating and learning and growing is great. So the first type of failure is when we intentionally screw something up. And actually, to me, it's it, because it's intentional, it's a decision, it's not really failure but I have to mention it within the subcategories of failure, right? So we're choosing to not follow a procedure. We're choosing to break a law or, or, or something like that. And that, and with those choices come, have to come consequences. And I feel like many managers and leaders over the years were socialized to think that all failure is lumped into that category. It's, it's a small percentage of failure because I like to believe that people have the best intentions until proven otherwise, right? But to be clear, 
failure when someone has made a conscious choice to do something they know is wrong, that does deserve consequences. And whether that's being fired or put on a performance plan or whatever, especially in highly re regulated industries in healthcare, I know people who have gotten fired for you know taking pictures in the in an in the emergency room, and you know inadvertently had there's a patient in the picture, right? Breaks a HIPAA law, or, you know, which is probably an American thing. Sorry. Um, yep. No, I'm familiar. Yep. Yeah. So you know that's that, and as a leader, you ha you have to de dole out appropriate consequences to that, whatever those are. And if you're the perpetrator of that kind of choice, you have to expect to suffer the consequences. Okay, so let's park those failures because they're different. But so, there's still learning that comes from them that could be positive. Which... Absolutely, because you know what, if you're making, you, you'll never make that choice again. Right? Yep. Depending on the um, severity of it. <laughs> right. And, and I really do mostly put things that are illegal or, or immoral in that category, right? Yeah. And, and those are big life lessons for people, right? Yep, understood. <laughs> so the second type of failure is, is like, I, I messed up unintentionally, right? Because I, like, we don't know what we don't know. And the gift of that kind of failure is it exposes a knowledge gap that we can consciously and conscientiously then fill, right? There's so much to know, there's so much to learn we can't possibly know it all. So sometimes when we mess up, it's because we just didn't know any better, right? It doesn't make someone a bad person or a poor performer. The third type of failure is kind of human and comes from like, we're being careless or we're rushing or, you know, we're not, we're, we're multitasking, you know, like the, the kinds of failures where we respond you know, we hit reply instead of forward on an email. Oops, right? Careless, especially if you send it to the wrong person. Um, we're not taking the time to proofread our work or to double check the spelling of a name, which I was recently guilty of with a client. It was mortifying. I will never not double check the spelling of a non-traditional name ever again, okay? Um, again, it doesn't make us bad people. What it does cause us to do is pause and say, okay, why is this happening? And, and it's often not as simple as it appears on the surface, right? Well, oh, it happened because I was rushing. Okay, why was I rushing, right? Do I have too much on my plate? Did I spend too much time in, um, on social media instead of working? Did, am I not prioritizing well like there's often a deeper reason that we're rushing or being and or being careless or you know that kind of thing and multitasking is a fallacy it really is just we're switching quickly between tasks and sure some things are easier than others to multitask walking and chew gum fine it is not recommended to multitask you know, and be an email while we're in a meeting because something is missing our attention and our focus and that, and that we're gonna make careless errors, right? And, and on that topic, I think about so many times where I've been in a meeting or I hear stories like this where something's just been discussed 
and someone wasn't paying attention. They might have looked like they were paying attention, but you know, their head was elsewhere. And they ask a question or make a point that was just asked or just named, right? It's like they're multitasking in their head and, and then they look like idiots because they just asked a question about the thing that was answered a minute ago, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, all those sorts of things, you know, they're honest mistakes and preventable if, if we're prioritizing correctly, if we're focusing, et cetera. And I guess the net net or the bottom line of that is when you have a failure or make a mistake like that, dig below the surface and don't just blow it off to, oh, I, you know, I was rushing. There's a reason you were rushing. Figure out what that is and learn from that and adjust to that. And that might mean some big adjustments. You might need a productivity coach. You might need to have better one-on-ones with people so that they're prioritizing, you know, weekly instead of monthly or quarterly or whatever the case may be. There's lots of different fixes to that type of, you know, failure, quote unquote. So the fourth type of failure, which is kind of the the type I get excited about, (laughs) is failing in service of innovating. And I mean, especially in this world we live in now, innovate or die, right? I mean, if if you can't compete with Apple and and Google and Amazon and Tesla and you know the people the, the the entities in this world that are leading into new technologies and artificial intelligence and right all the stuff, right? And, and again, there's no Bible for that. There's no instruction manual. So it's just like we have to accept that failing, getting up, learning, failing again, maybe failing a third, fourth, fifth, tenth time until we get it. And we're never going to get it exactly right. That's the thing, right? It's, we're never done, right? Because there's always going to be version, you know, the version next. <laughs> and y- you know who is good at this are developers especially on a new product. They, their objective isn't perfection, isn't an app that's gonna solve all the world's problems all at once. It's MVP, minimum viable product. Like what can we put out there that's interesting enough and good enough that we can start to get users on it and get some feedback to make it better because I, the designer or we, the design team, we don't know what perfect looks like because we're not the end user necessarily. So failure also is a process of soliciting and implementing the feedback that you get when you do fail. So I'm curious, as I've been hearing you, you, you talk, I've been sort of seeing a few aspects of my own experience and my own life sort of starting to like spark in my mind and um, you know as a recovering perfectionist I I feel like I've really had to learn how to fail and um, I've been very grateful for the 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 generous guidance that my peers and mentors have given me to help me fail more because in the in my earlier part of my career it was always about 
the finished product was what I had to strive for, that I had to deliver to my stakeholders. Yeah. Whereas now it's, well, what is the, the smallest possible component that I can create that gives me lots of scope to actually test it and potentially fail with it before I build out the whole thing? So I'm really intrigued to hear that, you know, you, you actually emphasize innovation as one of your um, enriching forms of, of failure. For sure. I mean, there's really no choice. We live in a, you know, the, the acronym of the last few years has been, we live in a VUCA world, volatile, yeah. uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And so of course we're gonna fail or we're gonna succeed and then somebody's gonna come trump us. And then all of a sudden what looked like a success is now a failure. So we're gonna get back up, dust ourselves off and, and keep innovating and trying and, and and I, I like that you brought up the perfectionism thing because they are related. And in fact, so related that I did an online cohort class earlier in the year called Perfectionism Detox to help people purge themselves of those toxic mindsets about perfectionism. And, you know, and that was like, Again, it's socialized in school, right? We gotta, if, if we want an A, it's gotta be perfect, <laughs> right? If we wanna get into the best schools, their SAT scores have to be close to perfect. And it, the real world doesn't operate like that. The real world is messy. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you picked that word. I was just going to ask you about like, you know, the, there's this messy humanness to what I'm, I'm hearing you, you talk about. And, I, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm, I'm curious, like even the, the first one that you, we decided we would just set aside because it was an exception, there's still a humanness in there that is the yes. result of the failure, right? And I think it's, if we were to dig deeper, um, you know, fear of failing or not wanting to fail, um, there's obviously individual drivers behind why that's happening, your upbringing, your schooling, whatever the case may be, but there's yeah. also um, organizational and societal infrastructure that is making it hard for people to fail. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that. Yes. So it's been an evolution. So we went from, you know, an agrarian society, right? And then we had the industrial revolution and, and I think perfectionism and zero errors and even inbox zero right, are all relics of a manufacturing past where, yeah, you didn't, you, you pulled the cord on the actual assembly line if you saw a product coming down the line that wasn't perfect, you know, that was missing a leg or, you know, whatever. Um, and that was about consistency and, and, and also safety. There were consequences if you were uh, working in a manufacturing facility to a machine malfunctioning and not working perfectly, <laughs> right? You could get a finger cut off or you could get electrocuted, right? The, the, those things were real. And so it's, it's and that's, that's it, it's not wrong. It's just the way it was. We've totally pivoted to a different, you know, a knowledge type of, of work by and large, not to say people are still working in manufacturing facilities. Um, but, you know, I, I just listened to a program by Seth Godin yesterday, who I love. He is like, to me, one of the most genius marketing and business gurus. And he 
he called it, you know, so I've always sort of called it, you know, like the manufacturing economy and the knowledge worker economy. I like the way he phrases it better. So it was like the industrial economy versus now what we have is the resilient economy, right? Uh, or the resilient workforce. And, and I like that name for it because it actually isn't just about knowledge, right? So to call it knowledge workers, you know, there are not, you know, not to call us knowledge workers and the knowledge economy is actually a little misleading based on something I said a few minutes ago. Like we don't know everything. We can't possibly have all the knowledge and knowledge is constantly being created at an increasing velocity. So I am now embracing the term resilience economy because that's really what we're in. And when we can develop a mindset of recovery and resilience, that's what it takes. And to circle back to your question on creating a culture for that in the workplace, it, it is really incumbent upon managers and leaders to talk about these things and make the distinctions and make sure they're not treating all failures the same, right? That they are, sure, there's gotta be some consequences to carelessness and, you know, and things that were deliberate, right? There's gotta be celebration and learning sh sh sharing from the innovation type failures. And when that starts to happen, people won't be so afraid to quote unquote, fail, they're going to be like, oh, who can fail biggest and fastest and messiest? <laughs> and, and then that can be the new norm instead of like, who's the most perfect? <laughs> well, and I'm just thinking also about, you know, the managers and the leaders of other people themselves, right? They need to be willing to fail. They've almost got to set the example of failing in order to create these teams and these work cultures where you collectively feel safe enough to make a mistake or try something new and not have the answer to it, um, which ties into this realm of psychological safety that we, we know has Absolutely. Uh, you know, taken prominence in many of our leading thinkers. You know, phraseology includes psychological safety now, and rightly so. Yes. Um, and, you know, it requires us to be quite vulnerable and courageous as, as leaders. Brene Brown's work is, is very much centered on that. And I, I'm, I'm sure that you, you are. That's exactly as, who popped into my mind before you said it. <laughs> as much as um, I love Brene, I also love Seth, but I think that the two of them are just some of the most interesting thinkers right now around this space. So um, anyway, I am getting to a question. Um, what do you think, if we're thinking of people as resilience workers mm -hmm. um, or resilient workers um like how are, are how do you actually create that kind of um atmosphere around being resilient as a leader like what's one thing that you could very practically do to create that space for people to fail okay well the first thing is something you just alluded to which is being vulnerable yourself right sharing stories and examples of when you failed as a leader and, and, and failing as you go, right? You know, it's like, I made this decision last week, new facts have come to light. I realize now it was the wrong decision. You know, here's what I now know, here's what we're gonna do. I own it and I'm cleaning up anything I need to clean up, right? So we need to, 
leaders need to absolutely do that about to, to come to, to share some experiences from the past and just be doing it in real time as it happens to walk their talk, if you will. Um, the other thing is um, coaching and practice, right? We're never gonna get better at being resilient unless we practice it, it's like anything else. <laughs> if we practice being perfect our whole lives and following policies and procedures and manuals and so forth, we've gotten good at that. Well, to the extent we've shifted to, you know, a focus on innovation and creativity and thinking outside the box and solving novel problems and all that sort of stuff, that takes practice. And when we don't get it right, recovering and being able to be okay with it also takes practice. And it will take physical practice and emotional mental practice. And how do we do mental practice? It's mantras, it's, it's coaching, it's shared experiences where we commiserate with our coworkers about, oh yeah, me too, right? Where we create that sense of belonging. Those, it's those types of things that are going to create the new wiring in our brain to override the wiring that exists. So it's really not, not to make it, it's simple, but not easy, right? To, to, it, it, and it's the same as if you, it, just to switch from skiing to running, <laughs> right? As we were talking about pre-call, pre like it's just like, oh, well, I'm certainly not gonna go run a marathon on my first outing. I'm maybe gonna try and run a mile or a kilometer first, and then I'm gonna build up and I'm gonna practice and I'm gonna get feedback and I might switch my trainers and you know I might um, figure out how I'm gonna hydrate along the way, right? The practice and, and, and a continuous improvements and adjustments. Yeah, I, I like that that analogy. It's um, you know you obviously need to be very thoughtful about this process, and you know know that you're going into you know if you're going to run a marathon, you've got some work to do there, right? Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like there's it's it's a bit of a, a a dangerous line to walk to though, because I think in some industries and and maybe some types of of um, workplaces. There's, there is very little tolerance for failing, right? Like there is regulation or there is there are there are policies in place for a reason. And so I guess my closing question to you would be, um, how do you celebrate failure safely without sending the, the wrong message that leads to a degradation of work output or, um, you know, sort of a laissez-faire attitude to, oh, well, well, that was just a failure. No, no, no biggie. Like, how, how do you prevent that from, from happening? Right. Well, I, I think it's being intentional with the language, right? And, and let's no longer call break it, because I feel for the highly regulated industries, I worked in finance for a long time, and, and it got more and more regulated as we went healthcare, um, you know, transportation, yes, airlines, we, we don't want innovation in landing a plane, we want the pilot to land a plane the way they're taught. Right? And so part of it is recognizing there's a time and a place and circumstances where innovation and thus failure is called for versus 
times and places and scenarios where, no, 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 we have to follow the rules. We have to do this legally and safely. And, and so maybe it's, a, it's like, let's use different words for the two. And so that there is no confusion. That would be one of, my, one of my first pieces of advice is to create the shared language about what's this and what's that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a really good piece of advice. And it, it, it just impresses upon us the, you know, the, the need to um, encourage innovation, but take responsibility as well. Like those are the, the two sort of forces at play here, right? Absolutely. And, and taking responsibility is even part of like the celebrating failure as, as a success, right? Because we're taking responsibility for, okay, this didn't go well, and we're not going to brush it under the carpet. And we're not going to, you know, we're, we're going to talk about it. So that's what, I mean, that's really one of the things that true leaders do is they are able to respond, responsible, and owning their successes and their failures and, 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 and being able to influence that in their spheres of influence, whether they be formal reporting lines or not. Leaders need to get comfortable that that is a sign of a good leader and will garner the kind of respect because they're being open, honest, transparent in the good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> Well, we've all had a lot of practice with the good, the bad, and the ugly this past year, and um, yeah, I'm grateful for it. I, I, you know, I obviously realize that there are many who have really struggled through this past year, but I, I like you as, um, you know, we chatted about earlier, like there is a huge opportunity here for us to actually take a big leap forward um, in the, the now of work, as I have been calling it, not the future of the work, because it's actually now. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on the show and, and giving us a, a look into the, the four types of, of failure we should be thinking about and, and embracing three of the four um, in a meaningful way as leaders. And um, yeah, just appreciate your time and, and your insights. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure and a fun discussion. You're a great interviewer. Thanks so much. Wonderful to meet you. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care. Thank you.